religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC. I want to speak, first of all, uh, about the Yom Ha'atzma'ut and a little bit from the parasha. Tonight is Yom HaZikaron, Memorial Day. That is the day when we remember all the fallen soldiers throughout all the wars, as well as all those civilians who were murdered by terrorist attacks. And the number has grown to over 23,000. Then, the day after that, tomorrow night, that would be the beginning of Yom Ha'atzmaut, the day when we celebrate the independence of Eretz Israel. Is there any significance to have Yom Ha'atzmaut first and then Yom Ha'atzmaut after? You seem to have something, some connection between first you have to have the Yom Hazikaron and then you have to have the Yom Asmaut. Let me just give you a very brief uh, history of the how Elis Israel became independent. The very first thing that happened that showed a little bit of light was in 1917 when the foreign minister of Britain by the name of Lord Arthur Balfour he sent a message to Rothschild at the time who was also a Zionist and was very active with David Ben-Gurion in the cabinet the message was very 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 short saying that the government of Britain favors, that was the word, favors a home for the Jews in in Palestine. Now, you have to realize that at the time, Palestine included uh, not only what is Israel right now and the West Bank, but it also included what they called at the time Transjordan. It was a really a big piece and it's supposed to be, well, uh, a home for the Jews in Palestine. Uh, that's the big area. It didn't happen that way. What happened was that out of thin air, Winston Churchill said, you know what? We're going to take three quarters of Palestine. We're going to give it to some Hashemite uh, guy, leader, who later became a king. And in 1946, declared independence from Britain. And Britain recognized its independence. That became known as Transjordan. And later on, as Jordan, plain Jordan as it is today. That was supposed to be part of Palestine, part of the home for the Jews. But it didn't happen that way. The Jews were satisfied that the, the, at least Britain had promised some kind of a piece of land for them. They were excited. It was, there was a joy and, and jubilation. Finally, 
The beginning of the end of Galut is coming. Finally, there's going to be, we see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So, and even more, a couple of years later, uh, Britain sent a high commissioner that represents Britain supposedly to uh, arbitrate between the Jews and the Arabs and try to get some kind of peace between them. His name was uh, Sir Herbert Samuel. He was a Jew coming from a more or less traditional home. Can you imagine how excited, how enjoyed were the, 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 uh, the Jews in Israel? A Jew coming? Certainly he'll be in their favor. That's what they thought, at least. People were dancing in the street. Tears of joy were coming out of their eyes from all over. And not only that, it was Shabbat Nahamu. And they invited him, the high commissioner, to come to the synagogue in the old city. They gave him Aliyah, Maftir, Nahamu, Nahamu Ami. Be consoled. Now, <laughs> how, how would you feel if they... High commission from telling you, be consoled. You might Hashem. And it was, hey, nothing to fear. That's it. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Because he was a Jew. He was not neutral. He had somehow to, to, to bend backwards in order to show that he's not in favor of the Jews. So he was more in favor of the Arabs. Didn't work out. So that's the end of that. Then in 1936, Britain sent a commission called the Peel Commission that was headed by Lord Peel. And they went through a whole big investigation and this and that. And they recommended that there would be a division of the, uh, uh, of the land at the time and half would go to the, to the Jews and half would go to the Arabs. Well, the Jews accepted. The Arabs didn't. They didn't accept that. That was in 1936. I'm saying things very, very briefly, very short. And of course, uh, for quite a while, the, the Arabs have been attacking the Jews and murdering Jews all over. Finally, after the war, World War II, after the Holocaust, after six million Jews died, then the David Ben-Gurion and his cabinet decided, Atkan, that's it. This is it. We're going to declare independence of Eretz Israel. The day that the British will be leaving Eretz Israel, they will declare their independence. Now imagine, you have uh, a very, at the time, I mean, quite a weak nation. I mean, they were not even a nation. Well, they... they they, they, they couldn't have that many armament altogether because of the fact that the British were there before that, that they wouldn't let them. The Arabs, oh yeah, they have 22 Arab states. They can get as much as they wanted. But not the Jews. They were limited in the kind of armament they can get. And they had pressure from the U.S., uh, from Russia, from uh, European countries. Do not declare. The Arabs were threatening if you declare, we're going to invade. 
I must say that those people that signed the Declaration of Independence at that time, on May 14, 1948, had tremendous courage because they knew. They knew in their mind, once they signed on that, there's going to be a lot of dead people. It's going to be a very, very horrible war. And it was, right? The war was there. It was a very costly war. 6,000 Jews fell in that war. 15,000 were wounded. Well, still, at the end of all that, Israel won. If you call that a winning, uh, uh, you know, looking at the fact that uh, so many people died, so many people wounded, but still, in terms of territory, they gained more territory. They signed an armistice. It was, of course, a temporary thing at the time. But, you see, Rabotai, it was a great, great thing. At least they had a piece of land that they can call theirs. This was a pure miracle. We have to understand that many people don't see it that way, but it is a pure miracle. No different than the days of the Hashmonaim. They were fighting a huge empire. They were small in numbers. Same thing here. Small in numbers. Uh, resources, much less, much less money, much less numbers of people. And yet, Akadushwarakul helped them. They won the war. This is like Hanukkah all over again. Baruch Hashem, we have to be very grateful to Akadushwarakul that he helped us in that. Well, perhaps this is the reason why we have this Yom Zikaron just prior to the Independence Day. This guy. Somehow, throughout our history, there's always been a tragedy first, a big tragedy, before finally we get something that we can be happy about. Starting from Egypt itself, the Bnei Israel were there for 210 years. They were stooped down, 49 Shari Tumah. Almost in one more, they would be, they can't even be redeemed. But then, after that came the Geulah. Same thing with Haman Rasha and Purim. He was going to Hasvi Shalom, eliminate the entire Jewish nation at the time. And then it was just the opposite. And they were able sometime later to go to Yerushalayim and rebuild the second Bet HaMikdash. And again, the same thing during the Holocaust. Yes, it was a horrible tragedy. Six million Jews perished. But after that, we have Eretz Israel. And let me say something here. It was not only a human holocaust at the time. It was also a Torah holocaust. Some great sages, big Tamite Hachamim, were eliminated by the Nazis in Mahshima Vizikram. Big Yeshivot, but Tiknes all destroyed. At the end of the war, there was hardly 
anything to be proud of in the entire world as far as Torah is concerned. But we did not give up. People started all over again. And look what it is now. Look how much Torah is thriving, prospering in Eretz Israel, here in America, all over the world. Well, we learned this from whom? From Rabbi Akiva. You know that these times that we are not the Emei Sefira, the times of the Omer, we have some kind of mild abelut. Why? Because of the 24,000 Talmidim that died. Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva that died during this time here. And of course, the, the Gemara says, because they didn't, uh, they didn't have like proper respect between each other. Now we really don't understand what that means. They didn't have proper respect. You can't think of it as res- like like what we think of it nowadays. It's not like uh, God forbid that they were insulting each other or, or cursing each other. Shalom. Probably what it would mean is that in the madrega that they were, in the level of scholarship and sanctity, the, the Kiddushah that these people were, even the slightest little thing could be considered as ikavod, disrespect. But nevertheless, they died during this time here. Imagine, Rabotai, Rabbi Akiva, how much work, how much pain, how much labor it took in order to produce 24,000 great Talmidim. Take a look at Lakewood Yeshiva, for example. Started around 70 years ago or so. After 70 years, they have 6,000 students. 6,000. Not 24,000, 6,000. Great students. Great Yeshiva. But it took them 70 years just to have this amount of, of, of students. Rabbi Akiva had 24,000. And they all vanished. In a flash, in a matter of weeks, all gone. Can you imagine what tragedy that is for Rabbi Akiva? How he felt? How did he feel? 24,000 that he spent years and years. He taught them, he funded them, he did everything. All gone. Yet, the Gemara says, he did not give up. He started all over again. He went and he, he, he taught other students, among them Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And those students, the Gemara says, they taught others and others all the way up until today. That's right. He restarted everything all the way down to where we are right now. And Baruch Hashem, just like what Rabbi Akiva did, the Hachamim did over here also, where great leaders in Torah in the last 70, since the Holocaust, and we could see how much Torah is now in America, in all over the world, on the internet, she all over the place. This is great. 
But this idea of we have to be very careful about that nowadays. For them, maybe the slightest thing was ikavod. For us, well, this is what the parasha was about yesterday, about people, the, the mitzorah. Mitzorah is motzi shemra. People who disrespect others, they talk about elders. That's what that's what the that's what the Mitzvah is about. Tazriya Mitzvah Tazriya is telling us about the Tumav the Tzarat. Mitzvah is telling us how the Mitzvah will become Tahor. But you see, let, let me just explain something. The Tzarat that we talk about in the Torah is not what people think leprosy. Leprosy is a contagious type of ailment, and <laughs> if, if, for example, Sarat was really leprosy, then how come if a Hatan in the middle of the seven days he comes to a Kohen and he's got something like a Sarat, the Kohen will tell him, go back home. Go back home. It's contagious. How does he go back home? He's got to be uh, 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 isolated. Another thing, someone that suspects Yasarat goes in Holam Mu'ed to the Kohen. The Kohen says to him, go back home. Go celebrate your holiday. That shows that really this is not a question of uh, leprosy. It's a question of Tum'ah. Tum'ah. And the Torah, the way the Torah describes this kind of Tum'ah, it describes it first. It tells us about when the tumah comes into the body of a person. Then it talks about the tumah comes into a garment, and then it talks about the tumah comes into a home. This is the order that the Torah describes them. But truly speaking, this is not the way Akadosh Baruch Hu's Rahum Vihanun treats the people, and. Our hachamim tell us that really the way Hashem treats the people is the other way around. If the selashonara disrespect other people, then first it will hit their homes with tumah. If they don't make teshuvah, then it will hit the garments, get closer and closer. And if that doesn't help, then it hits the body itself. That's what Kadosh does. So how come the Torah describes the tzara to, to the goof, to the body first? The Sforno says, the, the Kliyaka, Kliyaka says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to give a strong warning first as a deterrent. As a deterrent. People will tell people there's going to be some tzara in the house. Uh, that's not gonna. They're not gonna be afraid of that. They're not gonna be scared. They won't be frightened. But it's gonna be tzarat in the goof in your body. That could scare them off and perhaps stay away from Hashanah. It's the same thing it had with when a Baruch Hu sent Moshe Rabbeinu to Paro. The very first thing he said in Parashat Shemot before all the ten makot, Hine Anochi. That's exactly what it, the first thing that he's going to kill the first son of Paro. 
Now, that's not what happened. What happened with Dam, Sephardia, Kinim, Baal, and so on. But first, he goes very strong to scare off the people. Perhaps they will act as a deterrent. This is what we see. Even nowadays, we see things like that. Look at North Korea, Mashima. What are, they, what are they saying? They're not saying, look, we have uh, rifles, we have uh, tanks, this and that. Oh, they, they show off their nukes. They show off their, the, the, the fact that they're capable of, of ballistic missiles and so on. That's sort of the big thing. Trying to scare off the people. That's why. But Lashonara is something that is very horrible and has to be avoided at all cost. You know, it, it, it says about the uh, a father, Hasri Shalom, a son hates his father. It says, Mutiumat. Right? They're supposed to be killed if you have Edim, Hatra, and everything else. Also, Umkalel Abev, he curses out. His father and mother also gets Mita, but you know what? The Mita of the insult is Biskila. The mitah of the hitting is only chenek, meaning strangulation. Look at that. Hitting him gets only a, a, a strangulation, which is an easier type of a mitah, of execution. On the other hand, if he insults him, curses him out, that he gets sekila, stoning. Because that's a lot, lot worse. Lashonara is terrible. So much so that according to Moshe Rabbeinu, Lashonara can prevent Geula. That's correct. We see this in Shemot. In Parashat Shemot, perhaps I mentioned this sometime before. When the first day that he came out to Moshe Rabbeinu to see, he saw a, 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 a Mitzri. An Egyptian hitting a Hebrew, and he took care of him. He eliminated him. Next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he starts talking to him. Why, Rasha, why are you hitting your, your brother? So, what did he say? The answer was, Oh, you think you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So, Moshe Rabbeinu was frightened. He said, Ooh, the word has been spread around. Maybe Paro has heard about it. Paro has heard about it. He got scared. He had to run away. But then Rashi brings the Midrash. He says, Aha, there are informers there. There are people who speak Lashonara. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, now I know why they are not fit for Geula. They're not fit. Because they were talking Lashonara. And that's right. It, 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 it's, it's very, very important. There are many, many stories about the Hafez Haim Alav Shalom. All his life, he wrote many books about it. All his life. He was extremely, extremely careful not saying any word of Lashonara. There's a story about him when he went with a, another hacham. 
and they happened to be in, they went to a mis'ada and uh, they served them soup. The soup was very salty. So the uh, manager comes over and asks how's the soup? Very good. He asked the other one, how's the soup? Yeah, but it's salty. No good, salty. And he left. So right away, Abes Haim jumped the gun on the other guy. How could you do that? How could you say Lashonara? He said, well, I just said it's salty. Yeah, but you don't understand. There's a lady out there in the kitchen who made this soup. And right now, that lady now, they probably are screaming at her, insulting her for making a salty soup. So how do you know? I said, go ahead, go take a look. They went to the kitchen, took a look at, that's exactly what happened. They were screaming at her. Why she gave them. I said, you don't say things like that. Imagine if it is just a, have this time was told about a strange lady. Imagine how you would behave if it was not a strange lady, but it was your wife or your daughter that made you that soup. Better behave yourself. Don't say anything. Always good. Always, everything is good. No matter what. So, really, it is unfortunate, but it seems that Lashonara, nowadays, is very, very difficult to stay away from for many people. Therefore, we have to be extra careful and more vigilant about what comes out from our mouth. We have to be extra careful to measure every word that we speak so as never to slight anyone. This is a very important issue because if we adhere, if we really adhere to it, we'll be zoche to geulah shilema be'ezat Hashem. I just want to remind you, Rabotai, this great station, that if you can really help Try to contribute as much as you can. Make an effort. We have to keep this station alive. And if you have any simha, you need a nice, beautiful home, please call SLC. We'll be very happy to accommodate you. Shalom Aleichem, Shavuot Tov.